and um, they just showed me a few bits of, of the footage and they explained you know what they were trying to do which was do a show which really used the planet and the state of the planet as everything as its core every story would relate to to what has happened to the planet and how everything is interrelated and the damage done in one part of the planet is reflected in another. Oscar-winning film composer Stephen Price joins us on Heart of the Arts today. He'll be visiting Mesa February 25th as he conducts a live orchestra through his brand new score to the Emmy award-winning Netflix film Our Planet. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to a new episode of Heart of the Arts. Academy Award-winning composer Stephen Price joins us on Heart of the Arts today. Welcome, and we're so honored to have you. Hello, thank you for having me. So you've worked on some of the most amazing projects in film composition, and you won the Oscar for your original score to Gravity back in 2014, which was an awesome movie. You were the music editor on the Lord of the Rings trilogy with Howard Shore. You worked on as an editor as well for Batman Begins and that score. So the word epic comes to mind when I think of your music and your career. How would you describe it at this point? Oh, um, a, a bit of a journey. I think I would go for it's. Uh, yeah, who knows what what will happen next? But I'm. Yeah, it's. I'm very lucky to get to to do music for a living. I can't quite believe my my luck sometimes. It's amazing. Um, just to read about your life and everything that you've done. I went back to um, look at some of your speech or listen to some of your speeches and you apologized to your mom during your Oscar speech for making too much noise as a kid or something along those lines. So what was she hearing coming from your bedroom as a kid? As oh, he- I can only imagine the horror. I mean, it was it was basically <laughs> I, I I kind of, you know, discovered music very early on. I kind of my mom claims that I learned how to speak from from putting on Beatles records and, you know, copying the words and things. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a lot of, of um, either music I was playing on records or very early on, I got myself a, a kind of four track tape machine, one of these little units that you could overdub yourself onto. And I used to spend hours just making little um, experiments and things like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of them were, were were listenable, but quite a lot of them weren't. So it was, <laughs> uh, it was probably a little painful if you were in the room next door. And um, so obviously when I hear your scores, the composers you've worked with, I think of Dvorak, Tchaikovsky, John Williams. Um, but you also played in rock bands and were a guitarist in college. Is that correct? Well, I, I was never in, in bands. I was always the person recording stuff. I was always incredibly mm. shy and nervous of doing doing live stuff. But yeah, it was always I was always the one sort of uh, doing the recording projects and that sort of stuff and, and making things for people's radio programs and that kind of stuff. That was that was more my my area. But guitar was was certainly my first thing. So you said you you listened to the Beatles as one of your first inspirations, and you also backed Bono and NXS once upon a time. Was that session musician stuff? Because like, holy cow. Well, that was that was one of my first um, jobs in recording industry. Actually, I was working in a recording studio with um, uh, the chap called Andy Gill of the Gang of Four, and he was making a record uh, a, that Michael Hutchins had started before his his sad death. And so we had Bono in to, to finish one of the songs, and it was um, an incredible experience. You know, I was a couple of weeks into into to working in a studio, and all of a sudden. Bono was sitting next to you singing a, an incredible vocal straight in, you know, first take kind of thing. So, yeah, a, a, one of those blink and you'll, you'll miss it kind of moments, you know. Of course. And was that at Abbey Road Studios or have you done recordings there? I'm just curious about the atmosphere. 
I mean, that that one wasn't that was in Andy's own studio, but I I do an awful lot of recording at Abbey Road. I've I've been really fortunate in the 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 very first film composer I worked for, a chap called Trevor Jones, who did things like um, Last of the Mohicans and Notting Hill films like that. Mm. That was the studio he always used. So so when I was hired by him to to help out on some projects, we'd work at Abbey Road a lot, and it's wonderful now because I've I've been there for so long that you know a lot of people that were. We're making tea at the same time I was making tea. We know we're all working together on, on film projects ourselves now. So it's been, you know, it's like family really, Abbey Road. It's an amazing place. Wow. And I was curious today, like obviously your musical taste, I'm assuming it stretches really far and wide. The more you, oh, what's the term I'm looking for? Like the more experienced and better you get at your craft, does your musical taste stretch further what is it like today i'm just like curious someone of your caliber what do you listen to you know what do you take in in your free time i think it is it is incredibly broad you're always looking for for something that kind of surprises you and intrigues you and and makes you kind of uh you know a little bit like when you're a kid really when you first hear a classic thing and it's it's really just the novelty of like oh why why do i love that you know and, and what were they listening to and then you go off on that little journey where you you end up sort of tracing back through people's influences and that kind of thing but you know my, my listening tastes are, are all over the place really there's the the core of things that i grew up with which was a lot an awful lot of rock music and you know the canon of, of popular music really but then you know i i love choral music i love 20th century stuff i, I love an awful lot of um of music from from around the world so it can be anything but it'll it'll just be a little a little change of, of chord or a, a, the way a melody plays it'll just sort of tweak you and, and just make you want to hear more and learn more you know yeah and so when you're working on new compositions I want to get to the live concert that's coming to Mesa but when you're working on something new or formulating ideas waiting for the inspiration to come maybe however it does I know some musicians and composers like to have silence how is it for you silence i find deeply deeply intimidating so <laughs> so yeah no never that no there's there's an awful lot of um of wandering about with me and, and listening to stuff and what i tend to find is is once you're introduced to a project whether it be reading the script or seeing pictures from the, the set sometimes i i will go on set and spend some time with the people there but as soon as you you've uh, you've seen some element of the thing it's almost like the score starts being written without you you knowing about it. There's things going on in your brain. There's little, even if you're you're in the car and there'll be a song on the radio, a bit of you's going like, oh, that's an interesting instrument. I wonder if that could be useful for this. You know, that's mm -hmm. it all starts to sort of percolate. And and by the time you're sitting in front of the film, sometimes it feels like you've you've been with it for for longer than you have, you know, and, and the ideas start to present themselves in quite a, a natural way. And when you've been on a film for a while, sometimes it almost feels like the the music's writing itself you know you've, you've got your themes in place and it sort of it just tells you what it wants the film often tells you what it wants you to do if you can if you can find a way of you know responding to it I know that John Williams sometimes has to like be in the room and then leave the room and you were sitting next to him at the Oscars do you guys have conversations you know about your process I mean not as many as I'd like but, but mm. I, it was amazing to to, to be with him and, and an incredibly kind and generous man was was my main takeaway from that but the, the biggest treat of that whole um Oscars thing was about three days before before the ceremony there tends to be a meal where all the people who are nominated for for any of the awards get together and so in the music branch it was you know five of the nominated composers sitting in the room 
and I was fortunate that that you know they had guests there that year. So you had, you know, Randy Newman was there, and Thomas Newman was nominated, and John Williams was there, and they just started talking about you know the olden days and, and when they were writing things, and that was the great stuff. You were sitting there, kind of picking up all this. I just, just remember sitting there going, "Remember every word of this. Remember every word of this," because it's like these unrepeatable sort of stories that you you were just hearing from the source, you know. Yes. So it was yeah, amazing to be around those people. Just getting to be a fly on the wall and listening. Yeah, yeah that's so exactly. Important. And then telling their old war stories, you know. Do you remember when this happened back in 64? All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So you have a couple of kids, correct? Yes, that's right. Um, Two little girls. So what do they think of the work you do? And do they think they have one of the coolest dads? I don't think any kid thinks they have a cool dad, do they? Um, but so they certainly don't think that. But but yeah, I think they think it's just the thing they've grown up with, really. You know, dad's in that studio down the hallway and, you know, he he comes out every now and then sometimes, you know, it's, it's, he's had a good day and sometimes he hasn't. So it's probably the same as everyone, but they, they kind of uh, listen to stuff and I, I kind of like sharing stuff with them. It's lovely when you work on a film that, that they might be into, you know, I, I, I'm working on something at the moment that, that um, I can't tell you what it is, but mm. I, I got to take more, one of my daughters to, to one of the very early screenings of it. And that's delightful, you know, cause look, and we're doing that and the music's going to be, be for us. It's one of the wow. things I loved about the Our Planet project actually was, was, being able to share that stuff with with families you know it's it's stuff that appeals to to people of all ages so it was great to work on that stuff so the main event you're coming uh to mesa with a live orchestra to present our planet live in concert you have the uh, incredible david attenborough and william shatner they're co-narrating and this is, you know, a, a big Netflix feature. So how did you get approached for this project? And again, maybe if you can explain a little bit about getting into the mode of writing for a, a series, a, a film that celebrates the planet. <laughs> yeah, well, well, Our Planet um, showed in 2019, but I think I saw the first footage back in 2015. I, I was just working for the, the same production company over in the UK, um, on a BBC show and and just towards the end of that they said would you like to just come into our screening room we're doing something else and they had camera crews based all around the world for years shooting stuff for our planet and um, they just showed me a few bits of, of the footage and they explained you know what they were trying to do which was do a show which really used the planet and the state of the planet as everything as its core every story would relate to to what has happened to the planet and how everything is interrelated and the damage done in one part of the planet is reflected in another and, and the realities of it, which hadn't really been done before. Mm. Um, and of course, as soon as you see any of that stuff, it's so beautiful, so inspiring, so harrowing in places that it just kind of suggests lots of, of musical opportunities. So I went home from that meeting and, and spent the two years afterwards, pretty much every time you know, I was sitting near a piano and a little tune came out, I just record it and go, oh, maybe that'll be useful for our planet, you know? Yeah. And by the time we got to, to scoring the show, um, which was done mostly in 2018, um, yeah, I had kind of quite quite the catalogue of, of of things. And then it was just a matter of every day you'd sit there and the way those shows are constructed, it's like doing a different film every two or three days. You know, the, each um, environment has a completely different character. And the trick for me was trying to make it all feel like our planet music and all relate to each other thematically, but all feel, you know, like it's very specific to where it was shot. So... It was it was a huge challenge and a, and, a, and a massive amount of music to write, but they're the best stories and the best visuals you'll you'll ever work with, really. So it was you know it it felt like an honor. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm saving the, the viewing for the concert, but hearing the trailer, I'm always amazed at like how that classic sound is captured. I can't really describe it, but like I'm always amazed by how some composers can just perfect their craft. I think they're just such great opportunities because the, these films are the, the filmmakers behind these films. They really value music in in mm -hmm. the, the sense that you know they they value its ability to help tell the story that's on the screen. We've got a lot of characters in in our in those films. They they can't speak, you know, but we can mm -hmm. capture their essence through through music, mm -hmm. and so music is given given a big role. And you know, we're also blessed to have the the voice of David Attenborough, who I really think of as as the lead instrument on those those pieces and oh yeah you know when you put those things together it feels you know like natural history and it feels feels hopefully like a something that can take you to from epic orchestral moments to really quite intimate personal moments as well and that's certainly something that we we tried to get into the journey of the the live performance we've we've done a very specific um to our thing totally redevised the original show to make it work as a as an, as a, an evening out for for the whole family so yeah it's been it's been a lovely journey to go on Oh, yeah. Yeah. Such a treasure. Um, I know you're probably familiar with all of the big producers across the board. I Something came to mind when I when you were talking. Rick Rubin's huge in, you know, um, pop music, rock and roll, yeah. all of that stuff. And he was on a podcast recently and said something like, you know, when he's working on a project, the main drive is knowing sometimes that you're going to finish it and and you're really looking forward to the next thing. Does that ever help drive you? I think that's that's one of the things I I love most about about my work really is that that it's always changing, you know, and you and you're always put in a position where you don't know what you're doing, which I think is very healthy. You know, every project <laughs> is going to want different things from you. And, um, you know, I, I, I can move from an, an animated project to an Our Planet project to um, a science fiction thing, which is entirely electronic or whatever. And they, they all mm. kind of make you think in a different way. They they all they all want different things. You can put a piece of music up against the picture and be absolutely convinced that it's going to work. And for some reason, the picture will just say no. And you have mm. to work out why it's saying no. And you have to gradually get this dialogue going between you and the film that, you know, you're you're both on the same side and you're kind of singing the same song, really. Mm. Um and it's such a it's so different each time I, it's it's sort of both frustrating and wonderful that you you never feel that you've got the hang of it <laughs> yeah i know that people like you don't always have time to get out and about like you said you bring your kids to special screenings with you but what is something whether it be a specific artist or musician what would get you out of your house you know what? One of the the wonderful things we got to do last year with with our planet was we toured around um, Europe, mm -hmm. and there were a couple of places where you just you'd happen upon some music somewhere, you know, and you wouldn't know who the artist was. I mean, we were in Dublin, and around every corner there was there was someone playing a song with a little bit of a history to it, and there was a little bit of a crack in the voice, and there was a bit of experience there, and things like that. You know, it's just and the the unexpected things that can be beautiful is what what does it for me. You know. It, Hearing hearing someone playing the piano who can't play it very well can be the most beautiful thing in the world. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's um, obviously we all want to go and see, you know, the greats and go to, to Glastonbury or whatever and see see an amazing Paul McCartney set. But yeah. equally, some of my best music experiences have been 
the quietest, you know, just seeing seeing someone's face light up when they when they're loving something is, is good enough for me. Definitely. A lot of people say, you know, the best musicians, you're not going to turn on the radio and hear them these days. So that's it. And, I, you know, I think there's there's something to be said for, for people who, who aren't interested in playing that game as well and just just want to play it for playing its sake, you know. So yeah. it's yeah. one of the great things about music, I think, is that we've, we've got a bit of it in all of us. So, you know, there's there's wonderful things to be found all over the place. So I wanted to know, I know there's some young listeners that tune into this podcast, and what kind of advice would you give them, you know, because it's this very digital world, and I know you said you're not always out there conducting and performing for live audiences like you will be later this month, but what advice would you give to a young composer or someone starting out? I mean, the thing when I look back on on the the journey I had going through through the early years of of doing this, it it's the kind of um, you can't predict how it's going to go in in these industries. You know, creative industries, full stop, are, are very unpredictable places to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I I sense sometimes there's a tendency for people to go like, I am going to do this, I am going to compose a film, mm-hmm. but it might not be that straightforward. Route. It certainly wasn't for me. It took me a long time to go through the ranks, and you know, I've I've made tea and arranged for people and and fixed their computers and, and fixed their guitar <laughs> strings, done all sorts of jobs that you wouldn't think of as, as anything to do with film composing. But they were all part of being useful on a on a film music project, you know, and it being in the room in a lot of those those places, I learned so much more than I would have learned just sitting on my own being a film composer, you know, and I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. pleased I had all those years around other people doing it and around directors who, you know, were telling me their frustrations with with music or all of those conversations that add up to to being able to hopefully respond in a way that's useful to people when you're in the job I'm in now, you know, you've, you've, mm-hmm. you've seen and heard a lot of those conversations. So the advice I'd always give to people is be be as useful as you possibly can. And the universe tends to find a way to, to reward that, I think. Absolutely. That, this question popped in my head earlier, how like people like John Williams have, you know, gone to Steven Spielberg and been like, maybe a you wouldn't think someone like him would get imposter syndrome, but they're like, oh, I'm not good enough to write for this film. Does that ever creep in for you? Oh, every day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> At the beginning of every queue, you know, you sit there and, and the page is blank and, and there's always a bit of you going, well, maybe this is the one I can't do. Um, but, you know, the, the longer you do it, the more you, you kind of, oh, I felt like this before, you know, yes. and you just, you you, you learn like, you know, I, like writing a, a story or writing an article or an essay or whatever it may be. Sometimes just getting something happening is good. And then that other bit of your brain can kick in and start to tell you what you're doing wrong. And and gradually, the you know, you, you, you've made a bit of progress and you look back after a few hours and, oh, this thing exists that, that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, is the, the most wonderful thing, really. You're, you're making something that, that didn't exist before and now it does. And that's, that's a nice way to spend your day. Yeah. And it, you know, the more and more I talk to composers and and people of your caliber, it's, it's, you know, just that intelligence kicking in that following your instincts. I think so much of it is almost switching your brain off so that it's just, it's just hearing stuff like it would hear anything else. But this time you've got the the opportunity to change it, you know, because you're in charge of it. And so, you know, I've heard John Williams speak before about, you know, crafting a tune and, you know, the note goes up a step, the note goes down a step, and gradually it just feels like there's there's nothing wrong with it, you know. And that's that's what you're looking for, just basically chipping away at these things until they're as good as you can you can do, you know. You've you've done your best shot at it. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, just out of curiosity, have you been to the Valley before? I have not, no. Okay. Uh, very much like to. So yeah, absolutely. Very excited. Excellent. Well, you're coming at a great time. You know, it's starting to just linger right around 70 and sunny. So my last question, I know you can't give too much information, but I'm assuming at this point you have to turn away a lot of projects. Is that the case? Um, not. I mean, there's there's so it's such a competitive world that I think you know mm. there's very few people who are who are turning lots of things away. But um, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I've been fortunate that a lot of my work comes from people I've worked with before, mm-hmm. and so you get to have these relationships where you know they're they're interested in doing different things, but you you've not got that sheer cold terror at the start of a project. You know, you you know you like each other and you know you can you can work together. Yeah. And um, so that's been the the most rewarding thing really of the last few years is is coming back to to people like you know Edgar Wright. I've been been fortunate to work with a number of times now. And, you know, I, I'm just excited to see what he does next and and uh, you know what we can do together. Yeah. And anything else on the docket? I know you said you're working on a film. Is there anything our listeners should be keeping an eye or an ear out for specifically? Yeah, there's a couple of things that will be out um, later this year. And there's a, a beautiful film called Los Freakis, uh, which has um, been made by the the directors of a film called Peanut Butter Falcon from a few years back. Oh, yes. Um, I saw that movie. It was great. Beautiful film. And as just as that was, it's an absolutely beautiful film. Um, uh, incredible story about young Cuban kids in the, the early 90s during the, the HIV epidemic and uh, yeah it's it's a stunning film and so that that's coming out later this year and okay. uh, another one called um, uh, Heart of Stone which I'm, I'm working on at the moment um, which is a Gal Gadot um, film for, for Netflix which hopefully will be out in I think August we're looking at at the moment so there's a few things going on. Wow, no big deal, right? <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's, no, it's, 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 it's keeping me up enough to be a big deal. <laughs> well, Mr. Price, it's not every day we get to sit down with a composer like you. So thank you so much for chatting with us. We're looking forward to the show, and I'm excited to share this conversation with our listeners here in Phoenix and beyond. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for the time. And yeah, um, yeah thank you. Academy Award-winning film composer Stephen Price. He'll be conducting his orchestration to the Emmy Award-winning Netflix series Our Planet with a live orchestra on February 25th at the Aikida Theater in Mesa. For tickets and more information, head to mesaartscenter.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.